Now this morning, we're going to look at a very serious warning from the Apostle Peter to the churches. And it's a warning that may be even more fitting for us today than even back in Peter's day to his church or his churches. And it's a warning against a dangerous belief being spread by false teachers that if we are not careful, it could hurt our faith and even hurt our lives. But on the surface, it kind of sounds like it could be kind of reasonable. It could have some validity. And many people were falling for it back in Peter's day, and many people fall for it today. That is, until you uncover the whole picture and see the reality behind the cover. Then you see the truth. But in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, the Apostle Paul sends a warning out over the land. And we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of 2 Peter, chapter 3. But we'll begin with verse 2. And so 2 Peter, chapter 3 beginning with the first two verses. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter says his purpose is to stimulate these believers to wholesome thinking. Now the word translated stimulate was used to refer to somebody being aroused from sleeping. So somebody that was calm and then they're aroused to action. It was used to refer to calm waters being churned up by a strong wind. Something calm churned up to action. It was used to call a resting army back to battle, a call to action, a call to get up, step forward, engage. So that's what Peter is doing there. He's calling his people to engage. But what is he calling them to engage with or for? For what action is he calling them to take up arms, to wake up? Well, it says he wants to stimulate them to wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking. It doesn't really sound like something that you get all worked up for to get to wholesome thinking, for which you take up arms and, and get ready, you know, exerting a lot of energy to go to wholesome thinking. What does he even mean by wholesome thinking? Well, the word actually means sincere, to be sincere or pure of heart. It means not to be a phony, not to be deceptive, not to have ulterior motives hiding behind you. It means to be trustworthy in what you say and how you act. It means that people don't have to wonder what you mean by what you say. 
He's telling them to be honest, truthful people, people of sincerity. Now, some of you may have heard about the word sincere and the literal meaning from the Latin word. The, the literal meaning from the Latin word is without wax. And it came from a time, you know, when people would sell pottery. They'd make pottery and sell it at the marketplace back then. And a pot could have a little crack in it that you'd cover over. People would cover over with wax. And that wasn't good. That was just kind of like deceptive because they were selling it as a whole pot. And yet it had a mar in it. So they say the only reason, you, the only way you could tell if it had a crack in it was to hold it up to the sunlight. <clears throat> and so sincere is without wax. There's no crack in the pot. Some of you may have been called a crack pot in the past. <laughs> but the word wholesome in the Greek is really the word, two words put together that means sun judged. So if the pot is sun judged and it comes out, you know, uncracked, then you've got yourself a good pot. And that's sincere, without wax. And Peter is exhorting his people to be sincere, trustworthy, those who have been sun judged, wholesome thinking, pure of heart. That's what he's calling them to. Wholesome thinking, pure of heart. And then in verse 2, he says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy... He's told, telling them to go to the scriptures. Go to the scriptures in order to become sincere people to make certain their hearts are pure. If they follow the scriptures, they will become pure, sincere people. Because, you know, the scriptures are our guide and our protection. The scriptures, our Bible, is the work of men chosen by God and led by the Holy Spirit to write what he wanted them to write. When we regularly read the scriptures and then prayerfully think on them, meditate on them perhaps, when we allow the scriptures to influence our thinking and our choices and our behavior, then the Spirit of God uses those scriptures, those inspired writings to teach us and to encourage us and to motivate us, to transform us to change us into different people, to guide us, to lead us, to help us make decisions, and even to increase our love for him and his word. You know, when I first became a Christian, first of all, it was a scary thing for me to do because I was just turning from one life to a whole different life, a life that I had kind of made fun of before I became a Christian. And I was told that I would have to read the Bible regularly. And that did not sound very exciting to me. I was excited about my new life, about the truth that I had understood, that God allowed me to understand. But when I was told I had to read the Bible daily or often, I thought, what am I getting myself into? 
And then my friend also told me, and we have to find a good church to be a part of. And I thought, I was so happy about my new, my new life that I had found. I thought, why ruin this with church? <laughs> but I just found myself, actually forced myself to begin reading the Bible. Now, I just read a chapter a day at the beginning. You know, it just took a few minutes, 10 minutes. Then after following that pattern, after a week or two or whatever, I began getting interested in what I was reading. And then I started reading more. And then it would just go to 30 minutes, and no one forced me. It was just something I wanted to do. And then it would go longer sometimes. And, and that practice, as I kept reading the scriptures daily, that practice made all the difference in the world in my Christian life. And I had a lot of other help from my friends, my new Christian friends. But it helped me move into my new life in Christ and led me into a whole new world of, of seeing the scriptures and seeing the, the heroes of the scriptures and seeing everything that God had put into the scriptures, all the stories and all the, the comments and statements and doctrine. Because when we approach the word of God with sincere hearts, the spirit of God does a work in our being and in our hearts and leads us and helps us to grow and gives us a desire to follow God. That's what the Spirit of God does because the, the Bible was written by the inspiration of the Spirit. And the Spirit is inside of us. And so we feed our spirit while God's Spirit is in us and he helps us to grow and understand deeper things. So Peter wants these new Christian converts to revere the Scriptures. He wants them to allow them to enter their lives, the scriptures, and change them from the inside. He wants them to allow the scriptures to move them to wholesome thinking, to help them become pure of heart, to help them become sincere, to help them become who they really should be. And now here comes Peter's serious warning. It's the major threat he wants to, to guard his people against. And it's in verses 3 through 7. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to come into the churches. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised? They're talking about the return of Christ. Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. There's been no change. But, Peter says, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being by God's powerful word. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So Peter is telling them, I want to go back here, 
what his people must watch out for. And he's referring to people mocking the belief that Christ is going to come back and judge the world and defeat the armies and set up his kingdom. You know, that's the message of the gospel, right? That's Christ coming back and making all things right. And these mockers, they come in and they say, where's this return you're talking about? It's been a while. We haven't seen anything. And you know, they have an ulterior motive when they're doing this. And we know that a lot of people don't believe in the return of Christ. We know that, don't we? We know they don't believe, really, that Christ is going to come back, defeat the armies, and set up his kingdom. And it has been a long time since he has promised that. I mean, these people were saying it was a long time back in the first century. And here we're at a much longer time. But here is one thing Peter mentions that I believe is very crucial. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. So these people are not sincere, are they? And they're not unbiased. They are self-centered, haughty, and not seeking any good. Their hearts are not pure. They're not sincere. They're not seeking truth. But they have an agenda behind their words. Now, you know, that is what I've seen when I read of people speaking against the existence of God and the Bible's message of salvation in Christ. Oftentimes, many of them don't just say they don't believe it. The ones that just don't believe it, you don't hear from them very often. But a lot of times, these people who go on, you know, and trying to prove that God doesn't exist, they go into these tirades against the God of the Bible. Some of them say the most horrible things against God and then against the Bible itself. And you get this strong feeling when you're reading them or listening to them. You get this feeling that there's something else there behind their words. Why would they even bother to work so hard to try to prove God doesn't exist? There's some hidden issue, maybe some hurt some experience, maybe some selfish reason. And, you know, Peter says they're following their own evil desires. They have a reason for coming in and trying to tear down the faith of these people. They're going to use them when they do it. They desperately don't want it to be true for some reason. And Peter says that these scoffers not only come in with a defiant attitude, but evil desires. And then he says, they also have their facts wrong. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. And listen to this. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They're saying, when you look at the world, nothing has changed throughout all of history. So why should we expect something as monumental as Christ coming back, judging the world, defeating the army, setting up his kingdom, when nothing like this has ever happened before. No, no judgment from God. And someone with that kind of thinking might even say, no, I follow the science. 
not religion. But what does Peter say? In verse 5, but they deliberately forget, conveniently forget maybe, that long ago by God's word, the power of his word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, Peter's talking about God creating the world, the world through his word. That's pretty significant. You know, out of nothing, God created the world. And then he says, God formed the earth by his word, out of waters, by water. He's referring to the Genesis account of creation where it says, the earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness. And that's what God started with. And that's the language it uses in, in Genesis. And then it says that God created the light by his word. And he separated the light from the darkness. And it says God put space between the waters. He separated the waters above from the waters below, and he called that space sky. And then Peter goes on to say, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. These scoffers conveniently forget that by those very waters God flooded the whole earth in judgment. And they're saying nothing's happened since the creation. I think a worldwide flood is something that's happened, hasn't it? So when the scoffers say that nothing has changed, we might say, well, I think they're off by maybe a factor of a million or something like that. Because to flood the whole Earth's population is quite a significant event that they're leaving out. So they really aren't going by the science. And then verse 7 by that same word with which he created the world and caused the flood and all of that, by that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So he shows how powerful God's word was in the beginning, how he created everything out of nothing. He showed how God brought the flood by his word, how he separated the waters, the light and the darkness, all by his word. And he says, by that same word, the heavens and the earth are reserved for fire. And so he's saying, by the same power, by the same God, and by the act of God, according to his plan, he's got a plan for the end of this earth. Day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. So what is happening here is that these mockers in Peter's day, they have their own agenda. They're not sincere. They have no, their, their hearts are not pure. It's a selfish agenda. That agenda does not allow for an all-powerful, holy God who will one day judge all of humanity. That doesn't fit their plan, their narrative, so they present another one so they can take advantage of people. So what they do is they write God out of the history books. When they say, from the beginning, nothing has changed. 
They just wrote God out of the history books, didn't they? And they have to deny very obvious truths. They deny the worldwide flood. They have to say that the earth just came into existence out of nothing and from no one. People today, right? I mean, you have this whole immense creation that is so interconnected, all the different systems, and they say it came from nothing. Now, that thought that the earth materialized from nothing is absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. And you've got people with three or four PhDs backing that. But it's absurd. It shows you how far people will go in order to get the results they want. They think they're getting them. And people will go to that length in order to get rid of God, who will one day judge mankind. And they will go to the, even to the point of embracing absurdity and they'll look you in the face and say it as if they're talking sense. It's really a move of desperation showing that they will go to any length to justify themselves and just do what they want to do. And Peter is telling his people, don't fall for this stuff. Cling to your wholesome thinking. Go to the scriptures in order to be able to build up wholesome thinking, to arm yourselves with wholesome thinking against those who are working hard to get rid of what is obvious, what is true, to get rid of God and his rule so they can do whatever they want. Don't be swayed by their big talk. There's something rotten behind those absurd beliefs. And then Peter explains why the Lord has waited such a long time to make good on his promise to return to judge the world. You know, that's their thing. It's been so long, look. And now we've got 20 centuries, right? And now Peter explains why that is. It's verses 8 through 10. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in his keeping, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, as we would think of it. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So Peter is saying that God looks at time way differently than we do. We have a very limited view of time and how long something should take. Whereas God has this totally expansive view of time. He created earthly time. You know, our lifespan is usually less than 100 years, right? And when we think of something being accomplished, we may think of a few decades as waiting a long time, right? And when we think of something significant happening, we may think of just this very limited group of people that it's happening to. We may think of something happening in the Middle East. We may think of something happening in the southern part of the United States. But God is all expansive. 
throughout the whole world, encompassing all time. His promise to Abraham of a people and a land, and that God would bless him and bless the whole earth through him. That is still to come, isn't it? But it's working its way. It started way back then and it's still working its way out. And God's allowing people time to repent. The promise of a Savior, thousands of years before he finally came. And when he did come, he didn't set up the kingdom, did he? God had promised the kingdom in the Old Testament. Christ came, the king came, he didn't set it up. But we have to be patient because God has his own time schedule. And when he came, he did atone for the sins of the world, didn't he? We didn't know that. We didn't know that had to happen. But God knew, and he did it his way because that's the way it has to happen in order for us to spend eternity with him. You see, so we cannot give up on the promises of God. They will come. We have proof of that because we can look back and see how he's done it in the past. And oftentimes he did it in the past in ways that we never imagined. We never imagined somebody like Jesus Christ the way he was when he walked on the earth. And what God did through him and how he did it and how he brought salvation. We would have never dreamed that. Even though the scriptures did allude to it. The suffering servant in Isaiah And what we see as slowness, Peter says, is God's merciful patience so more people can be saved. But you know, for absolute certainty, we know for absolute certainty that this present age will end. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And it's going to come in power and might. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So we know that his coming, that final judgment, is absolutely certain. We know that the heavens and the earth are going to disappear in their present form. The fire will cleanse the whole earth. Everything will be laid bare, all of its works, all the evil done. It's going to be a cleansing. So we can't lift, listen to the scoffers who try to convince everyone there is no end time judgment. We can't listen to those who spend years writing so much on how life began without God and how things progressed throughout history without any divine intervention. And they work so hard to prove it. And they go to such lengths. And in the meantime, they're getting all these awards from academia to show there's no God. But they will find out. Many will say there's no God in order to remove all judgment for wrong. But we know that that judgment has come in the past. You know, God flooded the world. He's promised it in the future. And we know that with God, a thousand years is like one day. And one day is like a thousand years. 
because he stands over time. And in that thinking, if you think about it, <clears throat> a thousand years being like a day, in that kind of thinking, Jesus was here two days ago. <laughs> in God's timing, right? Day before yesterday. <laughs> so let's awaken ourselves to wholesome thinking. Sincerity, honesty, pure minds. Don't allow ourselves to be taken in by the wisdom of the world. The wisdom that says we only have to answer to ourselves. People who present that, often they're trying to get control. Peter says, go back to the words of the prophets. Go back to the words of the New Testament apostles. Believe the scriptures. Immerse yourself in God's eternal word. Walk by the power of the Spirit of God. Because we're walking in the promises of God. We're walking in faith. And we can be light to others. And we can be that continual light as we share Jesus Christ so that they may come to repentance also. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just the trustworthiness of your word and how it comes back again and again and again. And even though the world fights against it so often, so hard, with so many uh, people who are supposed to be so smart, we know in the end, Lord, Christ will come. He will set up his kingdom. He will defeat the armies against him. And we can reign with him if we come to him. We pray, Lord, that there will be uh, an outpouring of your spirit and of the gospel message in these days. And that many would come to know you. And many would just give their lives over to you. To love you and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.